Hi, I'm Barry Hamaguchi. And I'm Jason Marcos. This is Flop Redeemer, the weekly podcast where we discuss the stories behind our favorite pop flops and why you should give these songs a second chance. In 2006, Fergie made a splash with her solo debut, The Duchess, spawning five top five singles in the US. After a long hiatus, she returned in 2017 with the album Double Duchess and the song You Already Know, featuring Nicki Minaj. Unfortunately, Double the Duchess was not double the pleasure. Sorry for that terrible intro. I like that. So we're talking about Fergie today. Or actually, should I address the topics in order? Yeah, do whatever you want. Okay. So this week, um, big news for you. Disney what? Cinderella oh. with Britney. Brad, not Britney. Sorry. Moving on from Britney, <laughs> moving on to Brandy. Brandy Norwood and Whitney Houston. Uh, now available on Disney Plus. We've yes. talked about it in the Brandy episode. Um, I watched it for the first time. You'd not you'd so you did not watch it when it came out. I think I'd only ever seen clips of like the one like Whitney Houston song where she's yeah. floating next to the carriage. Like yeah, I feel like that's yeah. the iconic scene that everyone yeah. knows. But I'd never seen the whole thing. Yeah. Um I did not think it was very good. <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing. I think, you know, so in 1997, when it came out, I was 15. And I loved Brandy. And and mm-hmm. as we've well established, I loved Whitney Houston, right? Like, 97, Whitney was probably, like, at the height of her powers, right? Like, you know, coming off of the bodyguard and all of that. Um, you know, I think this was right before, or right around, like, Waiting to Exhale. Like, all the, you know, all these which which produced soundtracks with like very seminal songs and R&B and, and all of that. Um and I loved like I said I loved Brandy. Um I remember so it was interesting when there are a couple things about this. First of all, you know, this Cinderella aired on ABC. It was like the wonderful world of Disney and you know, this is before streaming TV and all of that. So like, you know, you you more or less had a captive audience as a studio. Right. To like, like mm-hmm. if, if you were going to put something like this on, it was going to be a huge, a huge event. Um, so it was a really big deal. Like it, it's, it's almost, it's almost like you can't, it's really hard to explain. Like it was a big deal that Brandy was Cinderella mm-hmm. because this was not like a conversation that people were having. Like people were like, Oh my God, like Cinderella's black. Like it's like, it's like just a crazy thing. And then, and then that Prince Charming was Philip paid by a Filipino, Paolo Montalban. And, um, you know, there are, there are just a few times in my life that I can remember as a kid because I loved, my dad used to get the People magazine yearbooks, you know, at the end of the year. Um, we, we mm-hmm. you know, we'd, we'd have, we'd occasionally get like People or Us Weekly or whatever was, I, I don't know, I'd see it, you know, we'd go to the grocery store. And I was always fascinated by celebrity um, and pop culture, but, you know, never saw myself in it, right? Until, like, it's like, oh, like, he's going to be on a Sunday night movie and he's Prince Charming and he's Filipino. Like maybe, you know, it's the first time I've, I, I've seen that or like looking at Rufio, um, Dante Bosco in hook. Um, again, one of the first times was like, Oh, like you mean Philip, like we could be, an, I could be an actor like, or, you know, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, so I, I remember being very excited. I also sort of remember being underwhelmed at the time. <laughs> Like I loved Impossible, which is the song you were referring to. Um, so this is based on the Rodgers and Hammerstein um, Cinderella, which I believe was made for TV back in the 60s, 60s. I mean, I remember there was a version that 
starred uh is it leslie ann warren who well, played it was scarlet th- in the clue who played miss scarlet in clue the movie that may I be true she was in the original the, the original was julie andrews oh and so you know julie andrews before i think but possibly before mary poppins um and sound of music uh had done this and you know so it's 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 a rogers and hammerstein sort of musical mm. i remember watching it and at the time maybe because i didn't have like a you know i loved brandy and whitney but i don't know that i loved musicals at the time and we talked about this like i i came to my love of musicals much later in life sort of like th- through the back door <laughs> <laughs> of like YouTube and, and hearing like standards and stuff later um, when I was in college. So there was a lot of this that I didn't get at the time, like just crazy musical numbers. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I don't know that I always found it. Fun. I don't know. It was, it, it is a silly musical. And so watching, I was excited because, you know, this hasn't really been available. I mean, it, it was sort of like, there's like bootleg cuts on YouTube Mm-hmm. You could watch little clips, but you know, generally speaking, like the music wasn't available. Like if you know, so it kind of, I kind of forgot about it. Um, and when I heard they were releasing it, I was excited. I was also a little trepidatious because I was like, you know, knowing that in my, <laughs> in my recollection, I was like, hmm, I don't know if I like it. So we watched it, or I watched it, um, and uh, I watched it last night. And uh, yeah, it's, it's very silly. It's odd. It's it's very made for TV. Um, mm-hmm. It's very hammy. The um, production value is not not great. The production value is not great, but at the same time, it is for nineteen ninety. Like, I I think I, so. So one one thing that was funny is, you know, in the last couple of years, uh, we like Star Trek. Adam and I like Star Trek, and so mm-hmm. we'd never watched Star Trek Voyager. Um. And so we'd started watching that and there's there's a few there are a few like they go in the holodeck and you know things happen but um there are these like scenes where they're like fighting they're like they get transported into like a, a world where they're like fighting the Nazis in Europe mm-hmm. and they all become like characters in in like Nazi Germany or Nazi France occupied France and um it was funny to watch Cinderella because they're on the same back lot that's that's oh. for the because I'm like oh it's that corner. You, have you been on the Universal Studios tour? Mm-hmm. Okay, you know when they go to that little French village and there's like a fountain in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's like a it's that it's that same like they use it for everything. Yeah, and like the fountain is there. So it was it's really funny, especially you know you watching watching TV at the time, and then like you know all of I don't know just going on the tour and you see all these places. So it like really does take you out of it. Also the colors. Of like late nineties stuff, these like crazy yeah. jewel tones, magentas, teals. I, I don't know. It wasn't. It like wasn't enough for like Victor Garber, Whoopi Goldberg, Bernadette Peters. They couldn't save this. So I. I mean, it's. It, I still love the song. Um. But I'm also, as I'm older, I'm like, girl, just leave the house, leave. Yeah, I, get the out story of there, Cinderella. To me, the story to me was like. The story to me was like not fully fleshed out, which I think is the case with the story of Cinderella. Like, yeah, I was talking to Davey about it and I was like, oh, it's it's really interesting to see the whole see the whole Cinderella story basically pulled down to its uh, 
its beams and studs, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I was like, to me, the gold standard of Cinderella storytelling is ever after the Drew Barrymore movie, right? <laughs> love that movie. I do love that movie. But I was telling Davy, I was like, it, it's because they add layers onto everything to kind of explain a way to explain all of the things in the story that you're just like, why is this the case? Like, why is it like this? Why is her life like this? Mm-hmm. You know? And I was like, mm-hmm. the nice thing about Cinderella is like, or the nice thing about Ever After is that it takes the time to kind of contextualize all that stuff mm-hmm. about like, mm-hmm. it's not just this deus ex machina thing where a fairy godmother appears and gives her a dress out of nowhere. Like there's this whole narrative wrapped around it about like why she ends up dressing like her mother to save, you know, to mm-hmm. spare the life of this servant and, you know. Yeah. Anyway, if you haven't seen Ever After, Ever After is really great. Ever After is great. Disney's Cinderella starring Brandy Norwood is an experience. It it very much feels of the era. Mm-hmm. Again, jewel tones. I mean, polyester brocades every Everywhere. which way. Whoopi Goldberg has some really good comedic moments. Yes. I was going to say, like, I she made me chuckle. Like... I was like, oh, this yeah. is the first time I've like cracked a smile. <laughs> Hers was the only moments that I was like laughing during the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, Whitney Houston, stellar, amazing, perfect. Do uh, we Bernadette think- Peters, Bernadette oh. Peters, I was like, why does, why is all of Bernadette Peters stuff spoke, spoke sung? Like, yes, that's true. I was waiting for her to like, why would you go to get, sing. why would you go get Bernadette Peters and then be like, by the way, all your songs are just spoken. Well, but you know what? I, that being said, I like her in the role. Like mm-hmm. she's good oh, yeah, in the yeah. role. Like she's she's a good actor. Like she's good um for this. Uh but yeah, no, I agree with you. She has that desperation about her. her that yeah. try hard character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the sort of fading beauty, <laughs> yeah. you know. Uh, and she's looked she's looked about mid forties since forever. then and until now. Like she still looks about the same. Yeah, like mid to late 40s, early 50s. Yeah, unplaceable. Yeah. But I was like, oh, yeah. fully. She was playing Megan Hilty's mother in Smash, the television series starring <laughs> Catherine McPhee. She's like played everyone's mother. Yeah. She played she played uh, Mama Rose in, Chips, in Gypsy. The, t- the, 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 uh, the universally panned. Yeah, the Tony losing performance. <laughs> the miscasting of Mama Rose. <laughs> she plays a mother in um, The Good Fight. With uh, Christine Baranski. Oh. But yeah, you know, you talk about it's it's interesting because when you say the production values, it's 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 I sort of disagree with you in that the production values aren't there. The production values are time appropriate and they just are bad. Like that everything looked I feel like a lot of these TV specials looked like that. Oh a Tower of Terror starring a young Kirsten Dunst, also mm-hmm. av- uh, also unavailable to watch, but premiered on the world of disney mm-hmm. spectacular i don't know maybe it'll come on streaming and i'll realize it's cheap garbage but my mind's eye recollection of the tower of terror movie that was on the abc wild world of disney family special mm-hmm. saturday night mm-hmm. whatever was far better than this i have a i have a strong connection to kirsten dunst and Steve Gutenberg, I think it was. So so you just prefer the white storytelling, the white focused storytelling versus the diverse casting. <laughs> of, of, oh, did you notice at the beginning it was uh, The Wonderful <laughs> World of Disney and Whitney Houston present? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, fight for that production credit. Get it, good, girl. Good, good, girl. I know. You know, do we also think that Whitney might have... Because Whitney's acting, 
you know, when bodyguard waiting to exhale, the preacher's wife, it's kind of here and there sometimes. I I felt like she did a good job here. You have to know your strengths. I don't think Whitney could have played. She didn't didn't know her own strength. She didn't know her own strength. No, she did. She knew she wasn't. She did. She did. She did. Well, I was reading that she originally, I mean, when she started exploring the idea of producing this, she was supposed to play Cinderella. Yeah. And then it just got stuck in development hell. And by the time Mm -hmm. like ABC Disney picked it up, it was like. She was a mother already. Yeah. It would have been like Diana Ross playing Dorothy and the Wiz. (laughs) Right. Like she didn't want that look of like, oh, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to age up Dorothy and make her a school teacher instead of a little girl so that Diana Ross can continue to play her. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, um, yeah. Who was the original Dorothy in the Wiz? I don't remember. It's the um, isn't it the the woman that sings and I'm Stephanie never... Mills? Oh, yes, yeah. Well, Mills. is that is that why Stephanie Mills does a version of Home as well? Yeah, she she I think she originated the role. Oh, I didn't know that. And that's why I did when Diana Ross wanted to produce The Wiz and wanted to play Dorothy, people were like, "What? Like you are fully in like your forties." <laughs> And like Michael Jackson, a young Michael Jackson, I think is the scarecrow. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway. I've 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 I wanted to go back and watch The Wiz because I've only seen bits and pieces of it and I remember being like, eh. Um, but I really love Home so much. I love mm-hmm. both versions of that song, and I think it's one of I love Diana Ross's version. I love Stephanie Mills' version too. Um but Stephanie like, Mills could have been the Ashanti to Diana Ross's um J Lo. I don't know how I feel about that. No, like they have very similar qualities to their voices. Like if Diana Ross ever needed a ghost singer, it could have been Stephanie Mills. I can see that. Yeah. And Stephanie Mills has a, a, Stephanie Mills has a strange, like Diana Ross ish quality to her voice, but not all of the emotion all the time. Yeah. There's it's, it her She doesn't have the rough. Well, there's like a, there's a warbling. Yeah. The warble. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but a very similar vibrato, like kind of thin, powerful vibrato. Yeah. But um, anyway. Uh, anyway. So yeah. That uh, was, on, that was Whitney. Whitney Houston. Yeah. Get that yeah, executive yeah. producer credit and decide not to cast yourself as Cinderella. You know, and as much as I say like, oh yeah, Paolo Montalban showed me that like I could act. What did he well, do? I mean, not much after. Of course he played the King and I, you know, uh, as every, as every Filipino actor. <laughs> probably had to do they're like sure you're Thai um you know he was but, in uh, 2001's uh movie American Adobo oh I remember that oh I don't I just read it off of his IMDB um but you know, you know he's he's had like bit parts in like SVU and you know the the, the typical trajectory of like a mm-hmm. minority sort of working like a working actor who like kind of pops up as like you know legal aid number three or yeah. you know, uh, so was he usurped by Mark Dacascos? Possibly, but 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 you know, the, I I looked him up because I was like, look, I hope that this resurgence and this and this focus on like how ahead of its time it was in '97, not ahead of its time, but like it was unusual and it was could have been star making. I hope that like with the excitement around this, that like he gets to pick up some of the shine and not just Brandy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, LA, uh, there were a couple interviews that focused on him, um, you know, talking about what it meant to him and what it's meant to him to see 
you know, to hear people's comments now that he didn't get to hear because no social media before. Right. So, you know, being able to hear now, you know, from young Asian American men um, and, and, and girls and, you know, women, like just people who had seen themselves for the first time and, you know, really appreciated this role. So, you know, I, I'm glad he's getting some of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. I don't mean to dis- disregard what you're saying. We got it. We got to take a break. Let's all take right. a break. Um, we didn't get to talk in our intro at all about what we're talking about today, but we'll get to it. Um, <laughs> you did say we were talking about Fergie. I did say we were talking about Fergie. When we get back, we will talk a little bit more about Fergie or we will begin speaking about Fergie and stop speaking about Disney Cinderella. <laughs> We are entering uncharted territory today because we have received an email. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's exciting. I can it's see the excitement exciting. on your face. I'm we have excited. Received an email. Um, we have received a listener request from Gabe. Listener Gabe, thank you for sending in your email. Hi, Our Gabe. first non-spam email in history. <laughs> he has suggested that we talk about Fergie. The challenge being that one of us had to find a flop from Fergie that we actually like. <laughs> Challenging. I actually, and I, I listened to this song that I'm going to talk about today. And I forgot that I actually did like this song when it came out. And it it flopped hard. It flopped hard. No one knows what's happening with Fergie in the year 2017. What is your favorite Fergie song, Jason? That's an interesting question because I, you know, I... <laughs> I don't know. Like it's 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 like there were a lot of songs that I listened to when that the Duchess came out in two thousand six. Okay. And I'll open it up um, to Black Eyed Peas songs as well. If you if you have a favorite no. Black Eyed Peas nope. song. Oh no. Nope. Oh hard nope. no? Okay. Nope. Just let's Duly move noted. beyond let's move past that. <laughs> um I would say I mean, you know, it's funny. It's really funny. I, I think I liked Glamorous. Okay. That is my favorite song from The Duchess. Yeah, I think I think that's like the one that like is it the flossy flossy? Yes. Oh, that's yeah. my that's my one. I was listening back to that song and um, you know, I was drawing I was drawing connect the dots between like Fergie and talking about Katy Perry a couple weeks ago that I was like, "Oh, oh, like Katy Perry using the word bish is kind of like um Fergie saying flossy flossy in glamorous." Which is funny because look, if we're ta- if we're gonna say that, that's like Katy Perry saying "bish" was fully eleven years after Fergie said "flossy flossy." So like, it could have been okay in two thousand six theoretically. But I think that people like I don't think that well I don't think the word "bish" did the word "bish" ex- exist in two thousand seven. I have no idea. I just think in terms of like when people were saying "flossy flossy," or did people say "flossy flossy"? They said like flossing, mm. like you're flossing, right? Yeah, 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 yeah the time when people started saying that and then the time when everyone started saying that, mm-hmm. because I always have this theory that like um, pop cultural references, they start largely from like black women, mm-hmm. gay black men. And then everyone starts to pick up on these things. Like it radiates outwards. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's bad when like, your aunt from like Orange County uses a word. 
you know it's over when it's like when it has reached that far out from like its origins <laughs> they're like yes queen yeah <laughs> or they're, they're at a panera or when they're like when when they're spilling tea like mm-hmm. you know it's over mm-hmm. like you realize like oh like the impact that like the culture of black women and black gay men really has linguistically on like the things that we say pop culturally. Yeah. And then realizing that by the time it gets to a certain point, it's, and I feel like Katy Perry saying bish is like not quite the outer ring. It's like, it's, but it's somewhere solidly in that. It's very middle. close. It's very close. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and Fergie's there too with Flossie. I, I, I think that's kind of the thing about Fergie. I mean, like it's interesting cause it's like, it's, there's a little bit of cringe to it all, but not, you know, it's, Again, we, you and I were talking about this before we started recording, where it's easy to look back at some of this stuff and collapse everything down to, quote unquote, just before. So like whether it was two years ago or fully 15 years ago, you know, it's it's hard to separate the different year, the 15 individual years in between and all the things that came out, you know, at that time. So I, I remember listening to The Duchess a lot when I was driving to, you know, like I remember listening to it driving to work is my, is my biggest recollection. Cause I, I think you mentioned that like you could, you, we both used to just listen to this album through. I'm pretty sure that um, our friend Eric sent us a leaked copy before it came out. Yeah. Eric or, you know, there, there were, there were a bunch of, I don't know if you guys I definitely all... had, I definitely had this full album and I do yeah, not believe I did I not buy it. it. No, 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 no. I could not have afforded that. And so uh, $20 to Fergie. She's already a duchess. She doesn't need my money. Um, yeah. But you know, like I, I, yeah, I just remember listening to it and I, like, I, I also liked big girls don't cry sometimes. Like it's but it but see here's the Basic. thing. No no here's the thing though. I remember it was like it okay. Think back to when you were driving toward like you know we've been in a pandemic for a long time. So just remember you get up early, you might do a workout. You get ready and then you get in the car and you fully have to sit in the car in the early morning for like an hour. And there's the constant stop and go. And sometimes the, you know, you get to a stoplight and you you have to wait like three cycles. And the light is kind of on the side of your face. It's like still groggy. You're still trying to wake up. And like big girls don't cry comes on. It's like, I don't know. Like sometimes I'd be like in a weird emotional lull, right? Because it's like you're frenetic trying to get into the car. Then you get into the car and like traffic just stops you. And like everything slows down. Okay. Sometimes it's just a slog and it's like an emotional lull. And then you get to the office and you have to like pick up again. Right. Because it's like, bam, right back into it. But there's like sometimes up to an hour of just like sitting. Please tell me you were not listening to this song for an hour. No, 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 no. But it would come on like when like because it's it's let's see, it's track uh, 10. Oh, my God. 17. 17 song. Um, it's track 10. So like this would be like I would I'm in the home stretch. I'm exhausted from driving in the morning. And Big Girls Don't Cry comes on. It's like a ballad. Is it the best song? I don't know. But I just remember I, I, I really liked Glamorous. I remember Big Girls Don't Cry. I don't really remember. I mean, I guess clumsy, all that I got. 
London Bridge. Where's my humps? My humps <laughs> is a Black Eyed Peas song. Oh. And that's where that's where I think that that's where I think that Glamorous is actually my favorite Fergie song from this era because it solidly sets her apart from the Black Eyed Peas. Whereas a lot of these other songs like London Bridge or like Clumsy or Here I Come, um, specifically any of the songs that Will I Am produced or was featured on in this album, yeah. it's hard to distinguish them from the Black Eyed Peas versus something like Glamorous. I mean, I'll grudgingly admit that like Big Girls Don't Cry, like that's a potential way that like if Fergie wanted to do that, like she could fully differentiate herself from the black eyed peas by making that kind of music, that kind of my life is a lifetime original movie that's ending and the end credits are now rolling kind of music. Yeah. Yeah. I, I realized that I, um, cause did they use it in drop dead diva? I think they used it in drop dead diva. Oh, I used to love that show. I love that show. I hate the song. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I'm listening to it now or, or listening to glamorous. Not Big Girls Don't Cry, but it still sounds good. Yeah. The production on it still sounds good. Like the Does that just I mean we're old, though? I mean, look, we're old already just because all the songs we talk about are oldies for anyone who's, you know, young. Yeah. I don't know. There's just something about Big Girls Don't Cry. It's that whole, like, I'm not going to miss you like a child misses yeah, the yeah, blanket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and her, 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 yeah, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, like a child missed them. Bless like her that. for having the flow, though, to not let you realize that fully none of her lyrics rhyme and none of them actually like scan very well. Mm. Like, if you scan her lyrics, you're like, how is she flowing this to make them sound like to not make me realize that this doesn't rhyme and it doesn't have like the right number number of syllables or accents to like you know yeah. Like she's yeah, not she's yeah. not writing an iambic pentameter or anything here. Like it's all it's all fully just flow of consciousness words, and she's cramming them into these like structures musically to like. So God bless Stacy Ferguson for that. But Stacy Ann, um, Stacy Ann Ferguson, um, she is but, you know, totally a Stacy. Um, but yeah, like it's it's one of those things where like I I you know I I guess I enjoyed the album when it was you know out like it was it yeah but it didn't stick with me like i and and by the time double duchess comes along and and granted like it's it's very it's very way way back uh you know way delayed um i wasn't clamoring for it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i'd kind of left her back in that space yeah because i don't know if we've ever talked about anyone on this podcast that has had such a long break between albums this album, Double Duchess, the single, you already know, it comes out in 2017. Mm-hmm. She's been teasing this album and these singles since 2015. Like, LA Love came out in 2015. So this has been in the can, like, waiting for years. Mm-hmm. And by the time it comes out, it's supposed to be this big, like, oh, y'all been waiting for me. Mm-hmm. I am back, you know, like a big event. I think a lot of the songs have that message to them too, that it's like, Oh, like I'm you didn't back. forget about me. I'm back. You've been waiting for a long time for this. But the truth was like, people did forget about her. People weren't waiting for this. Um, and so I was wondering like, what is it that leaves people hungry for more? I was thinking about share. I was thinking about believe mm-hmm. by my recollection what was that? Ninety eight, ninety nine. Mm-hmm. It's basically same time as "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time." Yeah, but Cher had been largely absent from hit music since like the late eighties. Yeah, 
yeah. 10 years. Yeah. If I could turn back time, what was that? 88, 89. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that we look back on it as like Cher is an icon. It's a foregone conclusion that she has this, like, I think she had like a number one single in every decade for like five consecutive decades. Yeah. Yeah. And we act like that's a foregone conclusion. I don't think it was. I think that there was a period in the 90s where her her status as a hitmaker was in jeopardy because she was doing those makeup infomercials. Do you remember those? Well, it, was it? I thought it was hair care. It was like she did an infomercial and it like broke her brand. It was not a foregone conclusion that Cher was going to continue making hits, let alone for her to reemerge with a electronic dance song using like the most heavily vocoded vocals you had ever heard up to that point. (laughs) You know, like Uh if you had told me that that was going to happen and not just that, but that like an 18 or 19 year old me would actually purchase that CD, Mm -hmm. you know, me in the prime of my music consuming career, I'm in the demographic, right? Like Uh 18 to 24. I Uh fully purchased that CD. I purchased a CD created by like a 50 year old woman I mean, it was a good song. Was it? I, 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 yes, I, I Barry. think about it now. Yes, I'm like, Barry. Was it? Barry, none of this revisionist history. No, it was a good song. With the little little plastic things coming out of her head. Her red hair. I it's don't a know. good song. You didn't like dance to it. I mean, I just love dancing to that song. It's so joyful. I don't think I like it very much now. I mean, like, do I put it on? No. But do I like it when I hear it? Yes. There's an instructor on Peloton that I use that plays it all the time. And I'm like, I, I don't really need to hear this song anymore. So anyway, so my, I guess my question is, what is the secret sauce that allows you to take a 10-year break? The secret sauce is be share. Like a woman who is somehow able to tap into this narrative of survival and fabulousness that she had cultivated like over decades, right? Her, she's she's got this star quality that I think she's just able to tap into when the, when all the stars align, right? Like she got this mm-hmm. song. They 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 use the vocoder like thing that really hadn't been used in that way, you know, in a pop song at that point, you know. So there's that there's that sort of unique aspect to it, uh, you know, which I think is interesting because the main part of that song. You know, where they talk about the vocoder, it it manipulates her voice, right? So it's artificial. Yeah. It's like, here's this woman who at this point has become known for manipulating her image, manipulating her voice into something that's very current or or even futuristic at this time, you know, and and also this is the same woman who did you know, who won an Oscar and and in, in like a decade ago and was Sunny and Cher three decades before that. You know, like it's I think there's this there's this through line and it's it's something that like you could really build on and tell a really juicy story that like Fergie doesn't have. I guess my mental my mental relationship with Cher is different. Like when I think about how I think about Cher as an icon, that only becomes earned in my mind after all the successes. In the midst of it, before she's achieved every accolade at every moment, it seems like there always could have been that moment where Cher became a has-been. Mm-hmm. And she just never did. Yeah, And who knows what that magic sauce is, right? So that is to say that whatever the secret sauce is that Cher has that's enabled her to have this long career, 
hits in every decade, long breaks in between, mm-hmm. missteps in between, yet always come back from it, right? Uh, Fergie doesn't have it. Yeah. Whatever that's, whatever that is. And that, that's what I'm like. I don't know if I'm seeking like a specific answer to like why Cher is iconic, but it's like clearly Cher is able to take breaks. But I also think it's like what she comes back with. It, it's kind of on the pulse in some okay. way. But here's, and here's the other part of it is that when I was thinking about Fergie is that when we're talking about songs in this show, I think we fall into a certain number of different arguments about why things didn't work. And Mm -hmm. I feel like at times the different arguments that be each of us will make about any of these songs will be seemingly contradictory. Sometimes we say like, well, so-and-so did this. No one else was doing it at the time. That's why it flopped. Mm-hmm. But then we're saying like, well, Cher came out in 1998 to do Believe and no one else was doing it. And that's why it was a hit. Well, I guess I just mean that like it, she did it at the right time, right? Because we're talking about like when we talk about people who, you know, flop doing things that no one else was doing, like either we've we've also said that, well, they were an imperfect messenger for that. And like because of their other image or who they were and how they how they put it together, it wasn't as well received. Like it it just didn't come together. It's never just the one thing. It's sort of like that might be the fulcrum <laughs> on which it sits. But yeah. but like there are, you know, given depending on the weight of the other things that can tip it one way or the other. I just wonder like when musical trends change, when our ears are acquainted with something new that we weren't expecting or that we haven't heard before. Like in a way, like you have to take that gamble because the criticism on the other side of it that I think we've also used here is, well, this is people have been doing this for a year now. This is a song from the year before. So it's this tricky game of like, if your song flops, it could be argued that it's either too soon, too late, too much at the same exact same time. Yeah. I mean, I think that's all true, right? I don't think that means that we're being inconsistent or anything. I think all of those things are true. And that's the fickle nature of pop culture. Yeah, I guess when I boil it down that way, though, I wonder, like, is there anything that Fergie could have done? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like... <laughs> That's the thing is like, we talk about, we talk about Katy Perry. I, Cause when I listened back to our Katy Perry episode, I felt like we were dancing around the idea that Katy Perry was just too old. I, I don't think so. I, I mean, I, that wasn't when we talk me, about Katy but... Perry being the wrong messenger, the wrong vessel. What are we saying about Katy Perry? She just, it, that wasn't, it didn't suit her. Why was she able to be the, why was she able to be the vessel for n- different sounds and new and unexpected things in 2008, but not in 2017 well i mean 10 years makes a difference but i don't know that it's necessarily age you know what i mean like i i think it's a sensibility like i don't think it's like one thing right like i don't think it's like the it's you know we 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 talked about it at length with Katy perry there were multiple aspects of her image and what was going on and you know that in combination with a long break and just what she put out it just didn't work but um, I mean, to be clear we're talking about katie when we talked about katie perry her break was like three years which i mean i mean it's not but look again if you get off of like a worldwide tour immediately start recording record for like 18 months your album is coming out three years after that sure i mean I, again i don't think that it's you know when we've talked about 
you know, why we were doing this and and all you you mentioned all the different reasons. I don't think that there's a consistency. I mean, that's part of the reason we're talking about the flops, right? Because yeah. if it were consistent, then you could always point to like, well, this this should not be a flop, then you can avoid this. But it's like for someone like Katy Perry, those three years, many consequential things happened within that that shifted the perception of who she was and like what kind of music she was she was going to put out. That whole Taylor Swift thing happened in in between that time. Like even if it had been a year or two, you know, even if she had been able to put out something quicker, like there was this other stuff happening unrelated to her music that was just contributing to, you know, sort of audience perception and reception. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that that's, I don't think that that's just because of her age. I think it's just everything. Cause like, cause I listened to the, I mean, I know you didn't, you didn't like as much about smile as I did, mm-hmm. but I, I don't think the reason I like the songs that I do like on that album, like Never Really Over and Daisies, are because it sounds age appropriate. Do you know what I mean? It's, you know, and I don't think I don't like the other ones because they're not like she sounds like she can't, like she can't be doing something quote unquote younger or whatever appropriate for whatever we associate with that music. But I think with, with, with Fergie, it's, you know, you ask like, what could she be doing? Well, Katy Perry's smile was not a hit. I know, but like we're, but we're. So I'm just saying that Katy Perry continues to not have any relevance. Yeah. Even when she is making much better music. Like it's like she has lost her footing and. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I I don't, I don't know that that's because she's old. I don't know if that's an age thing or what. Is she still, is she still covering stuff in her music that people just roll their eyes at? Cause they're like, here's Katy Perry again. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway. But you know, anyway, I think with with Fergie, it's just uh, I have question. I mean, I have questions about just her musical taste. Yeah. Well, we're going we're going way off the rails here because Are we? we were we were trying to hold ourselves to a strict standard of how long oh, yeah. we would record. We've gone way off that. We've spent zero time talking about Fergie. We've spent a hundred percent time talking about Cher. Let's move on. <laughs> Let's Introduce move your on. song. Let's move on by going back to the beginning. I want to tell wow. you a little bit about Stacy Fer- Stacy Ann Ferguson. So Stacy Ann Ferguson, aka Fergie, she is born in 1975 in Hacienda Heights, California. As a young child, she is first exposed to the public eye in the children's television program Kids Incorporated, which she starred in for six seasons between 1984 and 1989, alongside um, future one-hit wonder Martika. Oh, love Martika, toy soldiers. Mm-hmm. Um, also Jennifer Love Hewitt, oh. then known as uh, her name, her stage name then was L- just Love Hewitt, and um, Mario Lopez, huh? Later of Saved by the Bell fame and Access Hollywood. Is that what he's on now? Extra, I think. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry to that man. Extra, um, <laughs> extra. <laughs> did you ever watch Kids Incorporated? No, no. Okay, I never watched that or the Mickey Mouse Club. Like that just wasn't. I mean. We, yeah, we, we didn't really get to watch stuff like that. The show itself is this weird fever dream for me because I was like, it's about these kids and they work in a restaurant or something, but then they run up on stage and they start singing, but then there are like production numbers, but it's not a variety show because there's like a, a plot that kind of goes throughout the 30 minute episode. And I was telling Davey, I was like, I have a weird recollection of this show. I don't know what this show is actually about, but there's clips of it on YouTube. 
And it truly is the fever dream that I remember of these little children who have a band. For some reason, there is this restaurant slash theater that they work in where intermittently they run up on stage to sing a song and then they come off the stage and they have, you know, real life drama of young children of like first crush or like encountering a ghost. I don't know. There was, there's a great clip of Fergie singing a song mm-hmm. from kids incorporated. And for some reason she's singing the song to a ghost, but not like an apparition ghost fully a man sitting on a bar stool with a bed sheet over him. <laughs> this, the show is just hard to, hard to wrap my head around at this point in time. But I do remember liking this show and that's where Fergie gets her start. After she leaves the show in 1989, she and one of her former co-stars from Kids Incorporated, Renee Sandstrom. Renee Sand, she was known as Renee Sands on Kids Incorporated, but her performing name is Renee Sandstrom. She and Renee Sandstrom team up with Stephanie Riddell to form the group NRG. And this is in 1990, okay? Mm-hmm. And I feel like the 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 landscape for girl groups in 1990 is pretty pretty good. Right. Like we're getting like expose cover girls, good girls. Um, we're soon to see, get it, be getting SWV like uh-huh. girl groups are, are kind of the thing to do at this point, I think. So they have like the souring of a relationship with their manager. The manager claims the rights to their name and walks away wild, with the rights wild orchid. No, they were originally called NRG. Oh, oh, NRG. Oh, oh. new oh yeah, shit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. New well no i, rhythm, I like new rhythm generation uh-huh it, it's something that sounded like a ripoff of new power generation i think it was yeah, the new yeah, rhythm yeah. generation so they they part ways with their manager and their manager claims the rights to their name so walks away with that they end up getting martika's mother as their new manager and then they adopt the name wild orchid huh and as wild orchid they are eventually signed to rca in 1994 so they've been working together for like four years just to get a record deal uh-huh. And they release a relatively successful debut album, 1997 self-titled debut album, Wild Orchid, featuring the singles At Night I Pray, Talk to Me, and Supernatural. Full disclosure, I'm like super not familiar with girl group music of this era because this is 1996, 97 by the time they're starting to release music. And as we've established in the past, I'm, I'm an alternative rock kid at this point. It's strange because I do remember the name Wild Orchid being tossed around a lot at the time. Fully do not remember any of these songs. Yeah, I don't I don't know any of them. Yeah. The one for me that I think is the best single by them in like their entire discography is the song Talk to Me. I was listening to it and I was like, what does this song remind me of? And this is something that <coughs> recurs to me with Fergie's music in general is like it always feels like it's hearkening to something that I know. Mm-hmm. And I can't quite put my finger on what it is. It's very disco. So that's the thing is like, this song has aspects to it of yeah. like, turn the beat around. But also a little bit of Whitney Houston's I'm Every Woman. Uh huh. Uh huh. But also like incidental music from Sister Act 2. It's yeah. somewhere in that realm. Like like when like when they're clean when they're like washing a car or something. Yeah. Oh, that just a touch of love, just a yeah, yeah, touch yeah, of yeah, love. Yeah, that exactly. song. It's it's exactly. very that. And that's yes. the thing about like 
so wild orchid positioning them in like a venn diagram or like a matrix of other girl groups i was trying to figure out like what are they trying to do here because it's kind of like i mean it's 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 a white girl group but they're doing kind of soulful vocals but also kind of dancey and also not super not super soulful well it's kind of like, like I would that, place um, them what was somewhere... that group that michelle visage was in remember the when when uh yeah. they did what, they did the cover of um God, lovely what day the, what was the no that was not the group that was um, i know but she was in it but what michelle right? that the lovely day from the bodyguard centric that was after michelle visage had already left that group oh, she had already left them oh yeah that was done by her collaboration with the guy from cnc music factory that was soul asylum or soul system Soul not Soul Asylum. I thought, sorry, I know, I know. Soul System. Wasn't she in that? She was she in was. Soul System. She was in Soul System, but the group that she sang with was... um, The group was... Um, d- uh, seduction. Seduction. <laughs> yes, Seduction. Um, fully, I don't know a lot two. of um, Seduction music. So. No, who does? Because what, they got dropped. They, they got dropped right around the same time. Oh, yeah. so this is the thing too, though, is that like... In my mind, Wild Orchid was a very, very old group. Like, what do you mean? Like, like early 90s. Oh. But they only started releasing music in 96, 97. And they kept going to like 2001 is when Fergie leaves the group. And I think one of the problems with them, if, if we're talking about Wild Orchid as a flop in and of themselves, there's something weirdly anachronistic about their music. Because when I was listening to their music, I was kind of like, oh, like this is bridging the gap from like expose mm-hmm. and like oh yeah you know like the my favorite expose song um as long as i can dream <laughs> iconic song as I can dream. that one yes amazing song but they're kind of bridging that gap between those late 80s early 90s girl groups and then the late 90s to early 2000s girl groups of like i don't know 702 or like destiny's child uh-huh. Right. Because I think that when we talked about SWV, we talked about the struggles that SWV had bridging that gap as a girl group that exists in the early 90s and tries to continue to exist into the late 90s. Yeah. And how like what music was doing and what girl groups specifically were doing was changing. Uh-huh. And actually, like, I feel like the existence of girl groups was actually in peril at that point. Mm hmm. Like the fact that SWV managed to do an album in 94 and then do an album in 97 is kind of a miracle because not a lot of those girl groups survived that period in between. Yeah. Um, But Wild Orchid, Wild Orchid flops. Um, (laughs) They have mild success with their debut album. They go on tour with NSYNC. They go on tour with 98 Degrees. They get, they win a Billboard Music Award. They get nominated for Soul Train Lady of Soul Awards and um, American, American Music Awards. But they're by no means huge. Yeah. And by the time their second album comes out, they are quickly, quickly losing their clout. (laughs) And their second album, Oxygen, it reportedly only sells about 220,000 copies, which is for that period of time, very, very bad. Yeah. I mean, but if you think about it, you're like, wow, that's seems like, a, well, 220,000 worldwide. Oh, well, but still, yeah. Imagine I being mean, like, Oh, 220,000 people have my album. Yeah. But you know what this boils down to, or what this adds up to on the ground is that Fergie 
talks about this time and she talks about promoting the second album and they end up performing at like state fairs. And she says they went to state fairs and three people showed up to watch them and they were performing next to like the pigsty. And she said like the pigs seemed more interested in us than the three people in the audience. (laughs) So, you know, this is the beginning of the end for wild orchid. They, attempt to release a third album they release a single for a third album but that third album ultimately gets shelved and canceled completely and then in 2001 fergie actually departs the group completely uh-huh. and her departure is uh credited to two things the first being her fundamental disagreement about how the group was being marketed right that i think that they fancied themselves to be a very soulful r&b girl group yeah but there was a pressure from her label to do stuff that was not edgy, that was poppy and that was safe. Not the kind of thing that would get played on urban radio is what their label really wanted them to move, move towards. And in the midst of this, Fergie herself is also kind of um, diving headlong into the perils of adulthood. Oh, I thought you were going to jump right to it. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, so she talks about the fact that like in this period of time, when she turns 18, and then moving into her 20s. So this entire time that she's with Wild Orchid, she's experimenting sexually. She's experimenting with drugs. And so during this period of time, she develops an addiction to crystal meth. And it reaches a a breaking point for her where she has to rehabilitate herself from this addiction. And she credits hypnotherapy, actually, Uh with helping her to quit crystal meth cold turkey. Oh. But so, so in the year 2001, when she is leaving Wild Orchid, she is also getting, well, Wild Orchid is getting dropped by their record label. So Fergie has taken the first, first train out and she's taking this time to recover from her addiction or to go into recovery for her addiction. And then also in the meantime, she has to like move home, go on unemployment benefits, kind of put her life back together. Cause I think that in her years of living, living hard and fast, she says that she had completely depleted like all of the money that she had ever earned being like a child star, Mm. you know, which has got to be like a rough way to go. Like moving back to Hacienda Heights after like nearly making it. Yeah. The vocalist for Black Eyed Peas, a woman named Kim Hill, she also leaves Black Eyed Peas in 2001. And so thus begins Will I Am's search for a new vocalist for Black Eyed Peas. And we had talked about how Will I Am had wanted Nicole Scherzinger to actually be the new vocalist for Black Eyed Peas. And it was Nicole Scherzinger's, reportedly it was Nicole Scherzinger's boyfriend at the time, Nick Hexum, the singer for 311, that prevented Nicole Scherzinger from taking on that gig. But Will I Am, I think through her days touring with Wild Orchid, had met Fergie. And so he had also approached Fergie to take on that role, which she did leading up to their debut as a group in 2003 with the album, was it Ella Funk? Mm. Anyway. Um, and that song, Where's the Love? That terrible, uh, terrible song. Uh, and they used it, for, wasn't it? It was, the one that was like, And it was like a McDonald's commercial. And It was everywhere. I loved Black Eyed Peas until that point. And I, when they brought Fergie on, I was like, wait, what? They're trying to like, and then be be like, I just, I fully just jumped off the bus. That, that well, point. it's funny because like I, in my, in my head, I had always thought like, oh, they fired Kim Hill and then 
hired Fergie, but there's actually like a pretty large gap in between their two tenures. And then in 2019, Kim Hill actually did this interview with the New York Times about the circumstances around her departure and like what happened. And all these years later, in a move to like kind of smooth over any of the rumors about tension between her and Will I Am. Yeah. She says that it was a lot of the new management that they had at the time that was attempting to change their image. And so, you know, she talks about how they wanted her to be like the sexy bathing suit babe kind of yeah, of the like group. The and they wanted her to grind girl. up on Will I Am. They wanted the band's music to be pop palatable. Mm. They yeah. were they were grooming them towards being the hit makers that they would become. And Kim Hill at the time was like, you know, she was kind of a purist about the type of music that she wanted to make with them, which was the music that they had been making previously that wasn't like the worldwide success that they would see later. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what her circumstances were, but she says something to the effect of like, you know, when she had her objections to it, her bandmates were basically like, you know, if if we don't do this, if we fail at this, and if we get dropped, they were telling her, like, you you know, you're not the one that's going to go back to, like, East L.A. and live in poverty. So I don't know what her circumstances were exactly, but yeah. there was an indication that, like, the consequences for them, like, she understood the, the consequences for them to not do what their label and their management wanted them to do was yeah. far greater for them than it was for her. And so she opted to just step back and say, like, you know, you guys, like, best of luck do what you need to do to make this happen. But like, I don't, I'm not going to dress up in a bathing suit and grind up on Will I Am for a video. Basically. Yeah. I don't think I talked so much during our intro about how much I think the Black Eyed Peas actually suck. No, you know, we've talked about it off and on through different episodes. I think, you know, the listeners at this point can piece together. We have a love-hate relationship with them. Well, because there's the the whole Britney Spears episode where we talked about Will I Am being the executive producer of that album. I was trying to pinpoint what it is about the Black Eyed Peas music to me that has always been like, just something that just, it grates on my nerves. Uh Uh-huh. I find all of their music just a little bit irritating. Well, all of their like latter all of their latter days music with Fergie I think because it is a lot of it is just meant to be kind of fun party music it's it's like I think of it as like NBA interstitial music yeah it all is like high energy like a little bit too high energy for me it it tries to be jokey but it's not necessarily smart it's very assertive that it's cool as well I guess, I, like, one of the things that I was noticing when I was kind of re-listening to the Black Eyed Peas discography the other night is Will I Am does stuff on the production where he will have a line and then he'll play a sound effect underneath the track to match what he's saying. I don't know this. Okay, so in the song, Don't Funk With My Heart, okay. he says, come on, girl, yeehaw. And then he plays a sound effect of a horse galloping. And then a few lines later, he says, girl, you had me once you kissed me. And then there's a sound of like smooching. And then he says like something like, I love you. Like Bobby love Whitney. Like if you smoke, I'll smoke too. And then there's, he inserts like the sound of someone coughing. Mm. So it's that kind of thing where it just feels like 
a little bit too much to me, like a little bit like, look at me, look at, look at what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. Kind of jokiness to it that I don't find amusing or smart or compelling in any way. It's just something that like, it feels like so much layered on top of so much other stuff that I just, it's exhausting to me a little bit to listen to some of their songs. There, there are, there are sort of, um, it's like everything thrown at it. Yeah. There, 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 there's, there's so much it's, it's success. Right. Like it's it's production excess that I think sort of typified some of the music of the moment, maybe. Yeah. Or, or at least I mean, they, their sound sort of defined certain things. Like I, I mentioned NBA interstitial music. I feel like some of their songs became like it's like the soundtrack for like, I don't know, like sporting events and and, and yeah. just things like that. Right. So it's they were that kind electro of hops. It's that electro hop sensibility of I think it brings in kind of the aggressive kind of masculine energy of hip hop, which is appropriate for sporting events, but then it merges it with like a party fun electronic synthesized element. That's appropriate for like big crowds, sporting events. So it makes that perfect merger between those two things. I think that is, yeah, I guess it's great if you're in a stadium full of cheering people. Well, it's kind of like the, it's kind of like if you look at Vegas, like the family friendly commercial or like the, the, the rebranding of Vegas from just super seedy and adult Mm -hmm. to like this adult playground, right. That like, you could also bring your kids to like, it's the, it has all of the, like when you talk about the the hip hop, the 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 quote unquote edginess of hip hop, but the commercialized the the sanitized, but it's like sanitized in a way. Yeah, so it's like, like it's like that whole like Black Eyed Peas, um, LMFAO. I think you get David Guetta into the mix. Like I think that a lot of those Will I Am songs. I think David Guetta was uh, was involved peripherally. Huh. But it is that merger between like. It's it's the merger between like house music, hip hop, R and B, rap, getting all those things together into like one mixture that yeah. feels palatable. Yeah. I mean, for lack of a better word, I think that's what it is. It's that that's when you get into like the boardroom of like, you know, the Las Vegas tourism board and they realize like, oh yeah, this is great. This black eyed yeah. peas song is great, you know? Yeah. 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 Or McDonald's. McDonald's, where is the love? Yeah. You know, and it's like, ugh, really? Cause I, I, they were so cool before, like when I was in high school, like it's, it seemed like such mm-hmm. a, yeah. such a far cry. Like I loved their music on their first. There was a level of, of consciousness albums. to it and just like a certain. But credibility, it, it still was credible. Like it yeah. was, it wasn't like, it felt like they, they, they lost their credibility in sort of a naked grab for commercial success, which, you know, as you mentioned in this interview, like not, it's not not understandable i mean it's it you know i i understand mm-hmm. why they did it but it also just fundamentally changed their music and it changed my relationship to it and fergie uh, you know not not having the benefit of all of this in-depth sort of <laughs> reporting or whatever like to understand where she came from and all this i you know it just seemed like she was part of that cash grab yeah right well, like oh yeah she- let's bring this white girl in yeah as the, know, one, as the one yeah. visible change of the group in that time period, it's very easy to think of like Fergie is the signifier of that change or the catalyst for that change. When really she's just like another ingredient 
that was brought into yeah. the mix that brought about yeah. that change yeah. um and which brought them bigger success than they had ever had so mm-hmm. you know from the time that fergie joins the black eyed peas until the time that she departs in t- like 20 i think she officially departs in 2016 or 2017 it's rumored for a long time that she's departed but they don't make an official statement until a little bit later but in the time that that fergie is with the black eyed peas from t- 2003 to 2011 they have 10 top 10 singles on the hot 100 starting with 2003's where's the love all the way to 2011's just can't get enough yeah yeah and in the middle of this tenure with the black eyed peas she also has this huge success as a solo artist so she makes her solo debut in 2006 with the album the duchess and that album spawned five top five singles which is is a huge accomplishment i think we talked about it with katie perry with teenage dream spawning five was it five number one singles Mm -hmm. so this isn't quite as big of a deal but i remember it being a very big deal that she was able to score this many top five singles because very few artists are able to do it even fewer are able to do it with their debut album well she was a certifiable star like at that point right like a breakout really yeah from the group and she has so she has five top five singles she has london bridge fergalicious glamorous Big Girls Don't Cry and Clumsy. And, okay, this album is a huge hit for her. These singles are all a huge hit for her. But I think we've mentioned this, that this album is not universally loved. Uh So I think that we have the criticism of albums sometimes that we're left asking, like, who is this artist? What are they trying to do? There's all these different songs mixed together. And we, we, we often talk about that with some of the flop albums that we talk about. Like we talked about Christina Aguilera. We don't know who this person is based on this album. That did not stop the Duchess, Fergie's debut album, from becoming a worldwide hit. Even Uh to look at the singles lineup. Because the more I think about this, the more I'm like, you know, in the modern digital pop music era, being an album artist is not as important, I don't think, to people. Mm And so in that regard, it's not that unusual to have a huge variety of music represented in an album. That said, I feel like on the marketing side of things, there is at least an attempt to release singles in a certain sequence so that if there is an evolution to the music that the listener is kind of brought on that evolution with the artist so that it's not jarring or disruptive to your perception of who the artist is. Yeah. I don't know that I see the progression for Fergie with this album. Like, I mean, obviously with, it works. With, Whatever they... with Duchess or Double Duchess? Duchess. Oh. Because I, I don't, yeah, I don't she know. comes out with London Bridge, which to me is, that's a Black Eyed Peas song. Uh-huh. Well, which, which I guess I can see the progression as like, okay, here's Fergie. Um, You know her from the, because nobody knew her from Wild Orchid. So you know her from the Black Eyed Peas. Here is Fergie doing her own version of a Black Eyed Peas song, which you'll still like. Yeah, I, I mean, I can kind of see that, like as as sort of a lead into, and then you get further and further away from the Black Eyed Peas as the singles progress. Yeah, I mean, you get so you get London Br- London Bridge first, the literal Famous- bridge between. Yeah, <laughs> but also famously the song that just has like the chorus of men yelling "Oh shit" over and over again. Oh shit. That's why I like that song actually is because it's just, Oh shit over and over again. And then they had to do the radio edit that I think was, Oh snap. (laughs) 
But you know, you go from London Bridge, you go to Fergalicious. Fergalicious also basically a Black Eyed Peas song. Yeah, I guess so. But also neither of these songs really featuring Fergie singing. That's one of the other interesting things about Fergie to me is that she very explicitly does not consider herself a rapper. Yeah. She makes a point to say that often is that she's not a rapper, but she often does rap in her songs. I'd say like uh-huh. more than half the time. Yeah, she's most rapping. of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And she I think she's credited with actually having a pretty good flow for someone uh-huh. who is not a rapper. Uh-huh. But also like to get into like the Megan Trainer of it all, she's she's a she's very much a Stacy. <laughs> when I was I like I don't I couldn't figure out what to think I was gonna see when I would see um like interviews with Fergie because mm-hmm. I think about the affect that she has when she's singing and when she's rapping and I was like is that really is that really who she is and then to see her in interviews I'm like oh no that's not her at all like it's it's very it's very put on and it's uh-huh. very like catered to the style of music that she's performing which i don't know there's a whole weird i I have i have feelings about that it's (laughs) no i'm thinking about fergie at this time when you're talking about you know duchess comes out like i feel like fergie was like establishing herself as kind of just wild like like you know you mentioned like her her persona in interviews being different from like when she's performing or whatever and I don't know if you remember, there was, I don't know, it was, there was a TV special and it was like on, on like movie music. And I don't know if it was specifically about Bond, but Fergie does Live and Let Die. Okay. Live. And it's super insane. <laughs> and then at the end, she like gets on like a chord and is like being whipped around in the sky on the stage, like just shrieking like the end of the song it's like insane and you're and so like i'm thinking like you know as as you're talking good or bad okay your mileage may vary i don't know i i think you should watch it everyone should take a look um it's fergie doing live and let die from the james bond movie live and let die and uh it's it is something and so when you think about fergie like just wild like she she had her own sort of like style which is sort of over the top i mean it's all it's like kind of goes in with all that like it's it's a piece of all that but it does make me wonder like what is the public willing to accept about Fergie, like and her or just who she is and what she does She releases two more albums with the Black Eyed Peas. Uh-huh. That ends in 2011. Reportedly, she begins working on the follow-up to The Duchess as far back as like then, like 2012. In the meantime, like all kinds of stuff is happening behind the scenes. By 2017, 2016, 2017, she has reportedly parted ways or her relationship with the Black Eyed Peas has reportedly soured or she has said to leave the group. In that time, like her, she goes undergoes a label change. So she gets dropped and she signs a new deal with BMG, which is to say my point being that when she begins releasing singles again in 2015 for an album that doesn't even get released until 2017, there's a whole like, I think you call it like a frozen and amber state to it, which is that I think that in a lot of ways, the Fergie that we end up getting 
by the time that you already know comes out in 2017 is the same Fergie that we got in 2007, 2008. Yes. And yes, the world has changed. Uh-huh. And arguably Fergie did not change enough. Yeah, it's it's like it's almost like um Double Duchess sort of feels like a compilation album. Almost like it was like the greatest hits of the last 6 mm-hmm. years or whatever, right? Like it covers so many different not I don't even want to say so many different genres. But like, it just like, to your point, it feels sort of an album out of time. It feels like she's, okay. It feels like she's revisiting a lot of the same things that she covered in The Duchess, almost like note for note, stylistically, lyrically, topically. Like a lot of it feels like, oh, you're just trying to recapture the glory that you experienced with this first album by trying to replicate it in the second album 10 years later. As if the 10 years didn't happen. Yeah. What happens with Fergie is that she begins releasing new solo material as far back as like 2015, I think. Uh I think 2015 is when LA Love comes out. Yeah. And at that point in time, I think that if you look at the credits for the videos, like... A lot of the a lot of the singles are originally credited to like Will I Am, and at some point they part ways, and then the stuff is all credited to Fergie's own like the imprint that she sets up with BMG to release the Double Duchess eventually. So something happens in that period between 2015 and 2017, but in that period of time she's constantly teasing new material, new album is going to be coming out. But 2015 happens, LA Love comes out to moderate success. I think the downfall of that song, honestly, is she performed it at a Clippers game and there was a clip of Steve Ballmer just going wild. (laughs) Steve Ballmer loved that song. And I feel like that's maybe a litmus test for like, you're not getting your key demographic there. (laughs) But if I can find the clip of Steve Ballmer just going wild, I'll I'll post it. But nothing comes of any of these, these teases or anything like that until 2017 when she kind of gets her record deals she gets her record deal set up you know she finalizes kind of like parting ways with the black eyed peas but she also in that year that the double duchess gets released announces that she and Josh Dumel her husband since 2007 have actually been separated for that entire year and it makes me wonder, I couldn't find any information because no one really wrote about this album, but it makes me wonder if part of the delay was to address those more personal topics in the album itself. Mm. Because to your point, there is that feeling throughout listening to this album that there are songs in here that don't fit. Mm-hmm. Um, for me... A, a slightly bit a little a little work life goes on and save it till morning yeah like that span of tracks in the album feel like maybe a post josh dumel kind of thing well in a post whole other album like it's it's like they're very pink i want to say or maybe not pink but i say pink in that like pink the person di- or pink the color pink, pink the person okay um you know v- design like at this point just pop star right huge touring artist you know big everybody knows her uh releases music that is solidly for the adult contemporary market at this point 
right? Mm-hmm. Still has sort of an edgy look and vibe, but like everyone's mom and your auntie, they're all listening to Pink, you know, because you encounter her everywhere. Yeah. And that's what the those three songs that you mentioned, like they are so, it is such a hard right turn or left turn, whatever. It's just a turn from the singles that like, yeah, the singles all sound like they were produced like more or less at the same time. These feel like they're like from a completely different, like it's a different, yeah, like to your point, maybe they were trying to like, you know, cover some personal territory there. But I I did listen specifically to the song that you were talking about or you were going to talk about today. You are. Oh God, know. am I ever going to talk about the song? I don't know. We're two hours in. <laughs> I need to cut shit out. I need to tell you about this song, Jason. This yeah. song, you already know, it was like the third or fourth single. It was, it was fully the fourth, I think. Yeah. Well, she released two singles simultaneously. Oh, okay. She released Hungry... Hungry featuring Rick Ross and you already know featuring Nicki Minaj simultaneously in 2017. This is a two year lead up to the release of this album. So she's fully released four singles before the album is even out, which is not a great sign. Mm -hmm. The song samples It Takes Two by Rob Bass and DJ DJ Easy Rock, which in turn samples the Lynn Collins 1972 song Think About It. So I think that because of that, James Brown is credited as a songwriter. Oh my God. Is that why, because we're listening to this song over like, why does it feel like it breaks into a James Brown? The, where did that come from? There's like a, there's like, like two minutes in or something. There's like a breakdown. I didn't go further, but yeah, I'm like, wait, that sounds like a James Brown, like song or like an homage. And then it kind of disappears. You never hear from it again. Or it wait, are you talking about the, are you talking about the main sample that runs throughout? No, or are you ta- no, no. In the no, album, there's an the, inter- the album with the interlude. Yeah. Okay. So the the album version with the interlude is so weird. I don't know why the interlude is there. Um, after it's like the song fully ends, and then there's a moment where I was like, "Is this a drum and bass? Is this going to turn uh-huh. into like a drum and bass electronica song?" But then no, it turns into almost like a jazz combo thing. Yeah, that's at the end. But there, like even before that, before it gets to that break, there is a weird. It like throws to like a James Brown like funk breakdown. And I'm just like, wait, this isn't the sample. This isn't the it takes two sample. This is something else. And then it it's just for like maybe 20 seconds. Oh, okay. And then it and then it goes away. And I was like, oh, and you just mentioned that like James Brown has a songwriting credit, and now it makes sense. It's like it wasn't in the Well, yeah, because it all harkens just I mean, it all harkens back to it takes two. Yeah, but it's like this song is just crazy. But it's (laughs) iconic, it's classic. What? Well, also, it takes it takes two is iconic. I don't know that you you already know is iconic. No, I'm just, but I'm saying that it it all is trying to harken back onto those iconic things. Yeah. Listen, this all happened in the Duchess as well. All of those weird samples, like all those yes. weird Motown samples that she used for the Duchess, and then it fully just ramps into the actual old school Motown song. That was that. Get ready, cause here I come. Like, same I would thing. argue that that's no. I would argue that doing that at the beginning and as you said, ramping up into the song is different than having a fully different song and then dropping in a strange little thing at the like a non sequitur, if you will, 
and then going but right back to your song. But it goes with the it goes with the sample that they're using the whole time. It does, but it doesn't go with the song. Does that make sense? I disagree. You can with that. use the well, yeah, because you're <laughs> redeeming the song. But it's I it, I don't know. There's so much about the song that I just couldn't get into. It's in the but, way that like they're combining everything, right? They're taking like because even the way that they're taking the the beat and the sample from It Takes Two, but then they're kind of adding on this like house inspired synthesizer to it. Like those two things mm-hmm. actually don't go together. Yeah. But I think that they sound kind of a cool, like a cool unexpected combination. I, you know, I, mean, I don't mind way- that. I don't mind that. I really dislike her singing on it. I dislike her her vocal placement in the mix. It sounds like she's literally singing in my kitchen. Like we were listening. I was like, why is she so prominent? Like, why isn't she in the mix here? Yeah. Why is there no reverb on her voice? And then why in the pre-chorus or is it the chorus? Where she, she doesn't just hear falsetto. Starts, she goes, she sounds like a cat. Look at I would I've, I've looked around multiple times. I'm like, is that my cat? Is she downstairs? She listening to it, listening to it with headphones though, or was I in my car? Like there was a certain point where I was listening to it. I was like, oh, it's 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 distorted to sound that way. There's an effect on top of it. Yeah, which I'm I again I don't understand because it already it makes it sound like she's like at the absolute like screeching top of her vocal range and I'm like why is that and it's like unsupported like there aren't multiple vocal layers to like fill it in you know and and like get you over the top really it's just it like leaves you hanging there and I'm like this is so strange I mean the rest of I mean I I can kind of get into the you know, I you know the synthesizer, the house synthesizer, and the and the, it takes two. But I I don't see how the how they go together. Uh, honestly, of this song, if this was just Nicki Minaj rapping bars over this whole song, I would have much preferred it. Huh. I, I don't the, think that I, that's no. why I that's 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 where I get really like I don't I don't know what to make of stuff when I think about it through that lens, like because it, it, it's again it's a parallel to Swish Swish versus Truffle Butter. Two songs that came out at the exact same time with the same sample. Yeah, but I I don't know. I I don't I don't know. Like if we if we've learned anything from this podcast and talking about like things coming out at the same time or sounding similarly, like there are so many other things that go into what makes a song a success, right? Like who the person is sometimes. Yeah. And it's like just because they sound similar doesn't mean like I don't think that this song should have made it. Like there are so many production choices in here and just songwriting choices or performance choices that like all culminate in just like being it the song sounds discordant to me. Like I hate this chorus. Like like it's it like i'm like what is that like it doesn't i know fergie can sing it's almost like they're aggressively trying to make her sound terrible on this i i really dislike that it sounds horrible to me I would say the verses are better than the chorus. Well, she's rapping all the verses. I know. And then when she breaks into this song, it's almost like, it's like the Lumity of it all, where it's like, I, I'm, I've been assured that Lumity can sing, but they dropped that track that she sings 
into a completely different song and they were like, oh, this sounds cool. But like, there's always the sense that it's a little off. That's what I feel about this song, like her chorus. I'm one, I'm like, was this always the intent? Because mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's almost like there's no melody. It almost sounds like a like a voice note of an idea of something that could be done. And they just, they never finished it. They just dropped this beat under it. That I mean, that's the sense I get. Like, and, and again, like I, I can see different parts of it coming together. It just feels like an unfinished thought. And I don't, I don't, I don't think it does her voice justice. Of everything that she's done. Listen to Glamorous, right? We both talked, we talked about how that's a, you know, we both really like that song. Like, there's a way she's singing and there's like vocal layers and and the production it sounds lush it sounds it sounds expensive it sounds glamorous in a way this the just all of those different choices and it flows and like she can kind of go into her sort of rappy or or you know more wrapped you know, some lyrics and then segue into very like butter just segue into a sung chorus and and it sounds right and in a way that i don't feel like you already know ever really gets there but but that's why i think like Nicki minaj has like when she's doing it like she does have like a melodic way of like rapping right um mm-hmm. that i think which is not to say fergie doesn't it's just the tones of their voices like there's there's like a huskiness to R- Nicki minaj's voice that on Fergie's side is more grated. It's it's like thinner. It's like a nasally. I would never describe not husky. Nicki Minaj Sorry, a rasp. Husky rasp. I should say. Oh, uh, neither neither of those things. No, I would, just I would like consider a Nicki Minaj. I would consider Nicki Minaj nasal. Yes. speaking through cream yes, cheese. Yes, but that's what I'm saying. <laughs> yes, but like, which is the but opposite in, of but in, husky. But and in comparison to Fergie, what I'm saying is like these things are not always equal. Like just because one does this and the other does this, they should sound the same. They do not because they're not being treated the same in the mix. Like she, like I, I think that there's a better song in here than what was ultimately released. And so I, you know, but that's that's just my because I feel like I can see, I can see some like if we're talking about coming from 2006 to 2017, and and you know, Double Duchess being essentially a retread of Duchess, I feel like I would have wanted to see more. Like that, that is like part of the evolution. I I don't know how to explain it. Like that, those those bad things, well, sound perfectly correct to me with that type of synthesized uh, to track. me it, I and I guess to me I just disagree I feel like that needs there needed to be more production on her voice it, it reminds me like when I listen I guess when I listen to like a lot of the like when I listened was when I was listening to a lot of like the house tracks that inspired these tracks it's very that swish swish in particular like the house track that inspired or the house track that uses that uh, swish swish samples it's weird. It's not something that I would have liked at the time, but I think I appreciate I, 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 its production I, I now. Think, I, I think what you're hearing is the similar spareness, which I don't disagree that they like this this there's a sparsity in the production. Like there's not a there's not a whole lot of instrumentation. There's not a lot going on. There's the beat, the sample, you know, the beat, and then there's the vocal. I would say that I prefer 
I think the vocal production, as much as I don't like Swish Swish, the vocal production on Katy Perry's voice on that song is what Fergie should have been doing. If these are released around the same times, like within a year of each other, essentially, or about the same time, like she sounds like she's in the mix. Um, we're, I was watching um, Pit Stop with Trixie, uh, Trixie Mattel. And she was talking mm-hmm. about how, you know, one of the worst things for a drag queen is when you do these performances like, um, uh, like, uh, like at a, um, like at a low, low budget something. And, and like the sound system isn't great. And it's like the worst thing is as a drag queen queen is to be like lip syncing and you can hear your teeth. You can hear your lips because the music is so low. You can hear your shoes. You can hear your like, you know, as you're like, <laughs> as you're like performing the song because the music isn't loud enough. And you're, you know, to, to like kind of make it feel like a full thing. And that's what I feel about this. I feel like when she's singing, it's like like a garage performance where like someone's singing into like a portable amp and a mic. And it's like, it's a little too loud. Like it's louder than the music. And it's just like right in your face. Like she sounds like she's singing in my garage. Like, and I'm in there and it's just like not mixed. <laughs> <laughs> I I agree with you that like house me the the references that you're thinking is like there's not a lot of instrumentation it is the beat and those things but I feel like the vocals sit in the song better. She gets streaky on this song sometimes like you know and it's like breathy in the wrong way like so, like like a like as it's like it's so high like at the end of the chorus that like. It just sounds too bright. See, and that's where I I have to believe that that was an intentional choice. Why? Because she could have performed it well, differently. Well, I know. I mean, not that not that I don't think it was an intentional choice. I'm just like that doesn't make it better. It's it could be an intentional choice that sounds terrible. And that's that's I I guess that's kind of where I'm I leave off. I mean, famously after this she goes on to do the national anthem at the NBA all-star game. And you, you, I question her taste. The whole nation questioned her taste all over again. Right. Like, so I just, I mean, you've seen that, right? That, um, yeah, that's crazy, but I don't know. I, I, like I said, there are other parts of this album that I enjoy. I just don't like this song. All right. Valid. (laughs) Rolling Stone put it on their top 40 songs of that year. So <laughs> that's the thing is like critically, I mean, popularly, popularly, this song was not very well received. I think a lot of cult, uh, a lot of music listeners, like I was looking at like the Reddit thread about this song. A lot of people noted the same things that you're noting. Mm-hmm. Oh, they did. But yeah, but like, I don't know, like on a lot of the music lists for the year or for the week, like a lot of people called out this track, like, oh, Fergie finally got something right. I just, you know, it's just, which is like the, I think the disconnect between like music critics and music consumers, like, I feel like it can get very heady to listen to music that is so referential to other things because, you know, it is that thing of like, sometimes when I'm listening to music, I'm like, why does this feel like something that I know, but I can't put my finger on it or I don't know it. Or sometimes when you just don't know what the reference is Mm -hmm. at which point it becomes very meaningless right and i think that's what it boils down to for consumers is like if you if you don't know what the reference is and the reference itself if the reference itself is not aesthetically pleasing (laughs) 
you know, the reference is. I think I think the reference or, is aesthetically pleasing. I think to your point, you you were talking about how you can really get into this song before when we started talking about planning on doing this episode, and you 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 mentioned this song, and I was like, how, why, and you were like, well, I feel like because the sample is so strong, and it's so, the reference is so good. It you know it kind of gets more mileage right it like it elevates the song um, beyond mm-hmm. some of the other criticisms. I agree. I think that the the sample is good here. I just you know I don't think it's just it's not the sample or the reference that is jarring. It's the actual contemporary vocal performance <laughs> that like takes it out. <coughs> it is not pleasing to me. Yeah, I don't know. I just keep listening. I just keep listening to it because I'm like, why is this okay with me? I don't know. I guess I I like that weirdness and I like that departure from kind of like an expected pop music treatment of a vocal. I like that it's not afraid to just basically take this really weird part of her vocal mm-hmm. and just use it over and over again. Mm. I I like that fearlessness in it. And I like the overall, I mean, I honestly like the overall effect of it in a really yeah, weird yeah. way. In a way that like... No, so, I think that's valid. I think that's God, valid. We're talking We're talking for a yes. long time. I will say this, that like what I see as like the main failing of the Double Duchess is that to your earlier point, it was many, many different albums, or it's like two or three tracks from about five different albums crammed into a single album. And... I feel conflicted about addressing that as a problem because, you know, obviously your full album is your opportunity to express the full oeuvre mm-hmm. of everything that you've been musically doing for, in her case, like the past 10 years, you know. Mm-hmm. However, the musical styles and the messages are all so different. And then in the midst of this, the track listing is ordered in a very weird way to Mm me. It doesn't flow. Such that the song Life Goes On and the song Save It Till Morning, which are both these kind of like heartfelt acoustic guitar songs, they're sandwiched around MILF money. Mm -hmm. Like somehow MILF money came in between those two songs, which to me is like, yeah, it makes me think that like, it makes me think that like on the record label side, they're they're seeing these singles that are not Mm -hmm. becoming hits and they randomly feel like we have to bury these singles deeper into the track listing without realizing that they're kind of making a really disruptive sequence. Well, music. it's it's that sort of push pull and I don't know how I don't I don't know that any of this can be attributed to Fergie, right? I mean, so often yeah. the track the the way the album is put together is not really the artist's not the artist doesn't necessarily have full control of that. And um it's sort of this recognition of a singles model, just releasing singles, mm-hmm. uh, you know, without an album to, without nece- needing an album to tie it together into sort of like a larger context, while also trying to shoehorn that into an album format. And there's that tension yeah. there, just like the song tension, um, that, you know, it almost seems like, well, maybe if they had just let it just be a bunch of singles and they just went full streaming. You know, like like yeah. just followed that model. It might have worked better. Um, I I also think that it's like you know because of some of the 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 you know the development hell maybe that this album was in. 
some of the like the stuff that she was releasing like what 2015 to tease the album it sounded more current then mm-hmm. like if you listen to 2015 like it, it you know you know if 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 Fergie's kind of like trying to be the the cool girl or whatever like still kind of maintain that edge I can see some of that happening but I think by the time you get to 2017 when the album fully comes out there may have been some of that but we were we were going more in a like things were starting to happen like in a sonically um that maybe were more electronic mm-hmm. like it was it was leaving that sort of um that kind of uh dj collaboration type of uh pop into 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 something a little bit more like we were talking about like the zeds so it's like the zed versus avici or you know like there's just a different sort of sound and i feel like she was kind of caught in the middle like some of it was a little too far back to the beginning like when that was popular and some of it was like just on the cusp of like what was you know, like the middle Zed and Marin Morris comes out like the following year, you know, like it takes that sort of electronic yeah. thing, but it takes it in like a different direction. And like, she was kind of in the middle. I don't think that like all of it was bad. It's just, it just didn't quite work well, for her. I mean, I mean, you know, not all of this is that electronic yeah. to me either, which is part of the problem. Cause like, I will say that like when I first listened to this album, immediately from the get like i felt like this wasn't going to be an album for me because it leads off with the song hungry Mm -hmm. featuring rick ross and then like it ain't nothing Mm -hmm. and those are both like kind of heavy hitting what i would think of as like those could have been very very successful hip-hop songs Mm -hmm. even of the time Mm -hmm. like those songs to me were both very of the time not for me but yeah that's why it's like it's 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 puzzling to me that like a, she couldn't make a song like "Hungry" work for her on Urban Radio, with Rick Ross kind of like on her side. I guess the, right. Yeah. Like at this time too, like she's very, very much about her quote unquote squad, right? Like we were post Taylor Swift mm-hmm. squad, so she's she's bringing out all the people for all these videos. La Love, she's got DJ Mustard with her. Yeah, she's got. She's got Blake Griffin with her, Kim Kardashian, Sophia Bush, like all, uh, uh, what's her face? Yeah. Um, John Legend's wife. Chrissy Teigen. Shit. <laughs> Chrissy Teigen. Like all these people are making appearances with her and featuring with her and she's bringing them all in. And in a way, like I was like, oh, this is very of the moment, but also kind of like past the moment, yeah. maybe. Well, that's what I, that's she's exactly what I mean. Money. Yeah. It's like of the moment. She's doing it. MILF money and she's bringing out Kim Kardashian, which I forgot mm. that like Fergie is like really close to the Kardashians. Um, What was my point? Anyway, this album, Disjointed Mess, it kicks off in a way that like didn't feel right to me, mm-hmm. right for me. It felt like it was going to be this hard, hard hitting hip hop, r&b flex of an album of her saying like look at me i'm back like y'all were waiting for me to come back right because that's very much the way it kicks off it moves into all this other stuff it's it moves into the you already know it moves into the milf money like these kind of like electro hop oddball songs Uh it goes into her acoustic guitar lifetime original movie songs and then at the end, I want to bring this up because I want to include these songs in the playlist, which is that in the end, it starts to take turns that I was like, where is the rest? Of the, where are the rest of these songs? Where were the songs from this session? These sessions. So that's the song Enchanté. Mm-hmm. 
which is kind of like it reminds me of something that might have been on Bionic, but like the 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 Bionic with uh, what do you call it? the 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 electro Bionic stuff, Lady, Lady Tron. Tron. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of it cool. also it to me. I was like, oh, this could have been a um, a Santi Gold. Song. Yeah, like this. It's got a. There's a. I'm like, oh, like if yeah, this could be interesting. At first, I wanted to just laugh at it. And then I'm listening to it and I'm like, no, but this is actually saying, I mean, this is actually from a musical standpoint, this is like, this is different. Like yeah. this could be a stamp and, for you. This is like, okay. Yeah. And to your, and to your point, that particular song on Shante, it doesn't, it doesn't take Fergie's vocal too seriously uh-huh. in that it doesn't lay it on top of the track. Uh-huh. I think to your earlier point, and it's not, and I agree with your points about how her vocals are kind of plopped on top of songs. Uh-huh. Sometimes I think it works yeah. though. In this case, I like that they opted to layer it mm-hmm. in as an instrument within the song itself. Uh-huh. Um, but very cool song on Shante. I also liked the song that follow immediately follows that, which is the song tension. Yeah. Which is kind of, it's a similar vibe. It's it's a similar vibe. It's got it, but it's got like a, it's got like a new disco vibe mm-hmm. to it. To me, this is a song that Dua Lipa would have recorded for this year. Yeah, and like do but and Dua Lipa, um, you know, rules, new rules, comes out around the mm-hmm. same time, right? Like they're they're yeah. they're. But this is even more. This is even closer to the stuff that Dua Lipa did for Future. Sure, Nostalgia. sure, sure. I guess I'm just saying that like, New Rules comes out and it's sort of like this new thing. Like it's it's a. Uh, it's like, who is this girl, right? And it's like, yeah. but Fergie doesn't lead with that, right? Like, it's buried on the album. Like, stuff that could be, like, in that similar vein. And it's like, yeah. the focus is on almost, like, the stuff that's a little bit outdated, like, to your point. right? The stuff that Steve Ballmer just shits his pants for. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that's it's hard because, you know, yeah, it's, it's just, you know, she's leaning harder into, like, the hip-hop of it all. And you wonder, yeah. as, as the white girl who joined the black eyed peas and took them in a famously commercial direction, which caused them to lose a lot of their, uh, you know, hip hop status. I get credibility Credibility. to then lean into it and think that that hip hop loving crowd would be there for you 11 years later with what is, you know, like to your point is kind of credible. Like it's hip, it's good. Like, I mean, like not for me, but like, I can see this being a hit at the time. Um, it wasn't there when maybe it was a miscalculation because like she should have gone the other way, like on Shantae intention. Um, and, and, and yeah. it might've been, so might've met her audience a little bit better. Yeah. Met her audience where yeah. they were. I mean, but like her audience, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's the thing is like, her audience how, who well it's funny because i even I even back in the day i thought of her audience as kind of being moms like uh, so huh. okay so when i when i when that song was she's popular, always been so crass though. yes but like crass in like that pink like i'm fucked up like i'm a mess kind of funny way I, well I, let me just tell weird. you why okay because okay. of go, the go, context go, go. of the people around me who responded to it it was okay. when, it, when I was listening to this. It was divorced moms in my uh, around me, um, either that I worked with or worked for, um, who were who really like responded to this, the Fergalicious of it all, and like just how she was like hot and like they used that for inspiration in like the videos and big girls don't cry, like you know, like it was like a, it's like the white wine drinking moms 
in the Juicy Couture, <laughs> like, you know, at the time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's so, very juicy. And couture. so I think yeah. like, that's, that's what I mean. Like it, I don't know. That was, that was, that was like the like, other half of her audience. Right. To me, they're like, the Fergie Black Eyed Peas brand of crassness is like a special brand. Yeah, it of is. Crassness. It's like a, it's a vulgar. I was trying to, in a way. I was trying to think about like how do I place like the types of things and lyrics that they were an imagery that they were putting out there. And I don't want to. I don't want to imply that any of it is yeah. bad. I mean, it's not. It's not for me. It always kind of struck me in the in a weird way. I mean, famously, Black Eyed Peas had a song that is is popularly now known as let's get it started mm-hmm. but that song was originally called let's get it oh wait let's get r word oh yeah yeah like the original the album version of that song is like let's get r word and they had to change it so that the nba could use it yeah yeah to let's get it started um so th- that diction has always been a little bit strange with the black eyed peas, but it's like, I don't know the whole, my humps thing. And then even London bridge, London bridge. I was trying to place it in terms of like, okay, it's not like, it's not like Adina Howard or it's not like Lil Kim, like Lil Kim saying like, um, what is it? Beating their dicks to the double XL. Like she's not saying stuff like that. Um, it's not kind of like Janet Jackson's deep metaphor sexuality. Mm-hmm. It's right there. It's know. like her vocal in the mix. It's just right there on top, in your face, a little too close. Not necessarily bad, it's close, but it's closer but it's than also, you want. It's also, it's also almost laughable. Yeah, like, like that's what I mean. It's like it's it's sort of like it's it it's going for playful, but like she plays yeah. it straight. Like you know, like that's part of the joke or something, but. Sometimes the bit works and sometimes it doesn't. You know, but I want to tell you that in this Double Duchess album, in the song "Like It Ain't Nothing," what she says, um, "Ladies, rub your hands on your titties." That's right, rub your hands on your titties, and then she says, "Ladies, like rub your rub your hands on your boobies." That's right, I said it. Fuck it, rub your hands on your boobies, and I was like, "What is this lyric?" <laughs> yeah, I mean. Ladies, rub your hands on your titties. That's right. I said it. Stacy and rub your Ferguson. hands on your titties. And that's what we learned today. Which is like, which is also like, is that even a sexy move that women do rubbing their hands on their breasts? Like, I was trying to envision it and I was like, it doesn't sound, it doesn't, I don't envision it as being very sexy. But anyway, Stacy Ann Ferguson from Kids Incorporated to Wild Orchid to Black Eyed Peas from Duchess to Double Duchess to deep within my heart but deep outside of jason's heart because jason still cannot stand the song you already know which i love that's accurate (laughs) it's so good i implore you listeners to listen to this song again a playlist of all of these things that we have discussed today will be posted to our website floppertamer.com exclude I, i might exclude a lot of the black eyed peas songs that we mentioned because I just find them irritating and I don't want to subject anyone to them. Yeah. Um, You can, you can do that on your own time listeners. Do it on your own time. Full disclosure. Lately, I've actually just been adding random songs to the playlist. I was going to say, I was listening to the Britney Spears or the Jasmine Sullivan one. I was like, do we talk about all these Britney Spears songs in here? (laughs) 
There's think, like a lot of. Oh, uh, I, I think I name dropped them as a list, and I just included uh, all. Of and them. I was like, there. Are f- I was like, skip, 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 skip. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wasn't here for this. I want to get to the next. One. Well, I've been trying. That's the other thing too is I've been trying to balance out like composing a cohesive representative playlist because sometimes we mention songs off you, the cuff you do a good job barry you do a good and job. sometimes i try I, I try to switch up the order so that there's at least a little bit of flow right so that you're yeah. not getting the full like sequential order of everything we talk yeah, about because yeah, sometimes yeah. we just name drop certain songs and i'm like yeah should i put that in anyway well we want to give special thanks do it to Adam Elder for composing our theme music. Songs and videos featured in today's episode will be posted to our website, flopperdeemer.com. Uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Check us out on social at flopperdeemer on Instagram and Twitter to get the uh, playlist that we were just talking about. And also at facebook.com slash flopperdeemer. And like Gabe, email us at flopperdeemer at gmail.com with your suggestions. And you know what? We will do them. Operators are standing by. 